What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Desert Tone Podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm here and joined by my pals. Joey. And this is Jared. And uh, we're here for episode five in that wild. We're here at the tail end of May. And I uh, just want to say a thank you to everyone who's been listening to the show and sharing it around. We really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun, and I'm really excited for tonight's episode. Yeah, this has been great. Um, just before we hop into today's topic, uh, the feedback that we have received has continued to be really positive, and it's exciting just to hear people talk about the things we like to talk about and have their own opinions about it and stuff, which I think is super cool. And um, we never really had any idea about like how long we would do this or, you know, like what we would kind of cover past the first few episodes. And, uh, it's gotten to the point now to where I look forward to it more and more. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff we would talk about anyways. So like, yeah. So you all might as well hear it too. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, today we're going to talk about, uh, amplifiers and amps, calves, um, a little bit of modelers, things like that, but stuff in that realm. And, you know, I've been thinking about this a bit like the last couple of weeks and like trying to always relate it to something else. And it usually comes back to food. Um, but As it should. Yeah. Mm. And I think one of the ways that I, I can kind of like relate amps to food is like, like the type of, I guess you could say like, like think of like a steak and how many different ways you can have a steak. And how many different things you can put on the steak. Um, so you can describe to someone, this is, I really like a steak. Or I like, really like a high gain amplifier or a clean amplifier. Yeah. You kind of have an idea of what that is. And then you have your like additional preferences beyond that. Like on how you like to season it. And like other things you like to enjoy with it. And things like that. So like uh, that's kind of how I think about it. Is like you have um, like the very minimal or like basic um, level. Your instrument your amplifier and then we will have a later episode where we get to talk about things like pedals which just i like to think is like the uh like condiments or a sauce yeah on something and I'm a, I'm yeah. a big sauce guy so i'm excited for that one when we get there but um yeah today's amps so like the sort of role an amp has which i think is is different than it used to be or i remember it being whenever I was in high school or like, you know, 15 years ago or so, like there was, you couldn't really get what an amp offered in any way other than by having an amplifier. Now there's like so many other options in the realm of like the digital modeling stuff for sure. But like a lot of people now don't even really even have to use like an actual amp. They can use pedals to get like a similar thing or Mm -hmm. go direct, you know, other different ways to do it. Or like something that's like, fairly clean and like you shape the majority of your tone entirely by the pedals which is like not a totally new thing um but like I, it's just there's been like so much more development in that realm of things um in the last uh, probably 10 years i would say maybe or more but yeah just interesting i don't know yeah for sure i mean i think uh you know and also part of that evolve like has changed given you know our evolved understanding of the role the amplifier can play i mean we've all obviously known you need that to plug your instrument into to get a, a noise to come out but yeah like there's the way that our tastes have evolved and changed has been rather interesting and also getting into the specifications of 
even even series of amps within the same model line how various components are used like how to mod those specific amps mm -hmm. uh, you know it's uh, the body on the outside is the same but on the inside it's you know it, it it's changed uh and i continue to think that that's interesting and this may or may not come up in this ep um in this episode and we may down the road do a show specifically about like older gear but you know even if you look at like uh companies that have a long legacy of building a, a very specific type of amp comparing their modern iterations of that amp to to old to older versions they're they're very different and i know that like tinder has a history of doing that and so does vox and and basically everybody else and that's something that is increasingly interesting as the understanding of components changed the way that like circuits work together the quality of the parts being manufactured um you know it is it is a lot like food in that sense of you know there's there's a few thousand different ways to make rice like and just depending on what you decide to do to it in the cooking process <laughs> is going to change yeah or your preferences on how you like to have it basically done, everything like about it yeah and so um at the end of the day it's all rice but you know how it becomes the rice that you enjoy that's the conversation yeah yep that's what we're here to talk about today rice it's all about the rice in yeah. the end um i can equate it back to uh, my beginnings as a musician again being very uh, informed by the stuff that my dad was doing as a musician and he was not a gear person he just mm -hmm. had a couple of amps and a couple of basses and that was it not really any pedals and so um i'm sure we all kind of had a similar thing where we had whatever amp we started out with and then we were listening to music and trying to get into new new things and we're like well why doesn't it sound like that how can i make it sound like that yeah. and then just like getting into hard rock and heavy metal and having you know a fender style amp and being like well this does not sound good <laughs> when you turn up the gain all the way so yeah how do i get that sound and it's like um, it requires, you know, different a different style of of technology, and uh, which it's uh, a cool thing when you turn the gain all the way up on a Fender. It's just a different kind of thing, and it just, um, yeah, I feel like as maybe the resident blues guitar player here that I'm like lean towards, you know, Fender style amps and clean stuff more so. But um, yeah, it's it's having the physical amps is like a really special thing. And I guess there's more and more excuses or reasons that you don't really have to have physical amps anymore or yeah. use them. But I still think that that's like sitting in a room and turning the amp up loud and playing is like a really pure experience. And I don't get to do it as much. I don't have the space for, for amps like you guys do. But every time I do, I'm like, wow, this is really cool. It's like my stuff at home sounds good, but it's still just different. Yeah, and it's a physical thing as much as it is like playing through a different piece of equipment, and just a mental thing too. Yeah, and back to uh, Joey's point, you know, like pedals and and things that you shape your signal with outside of the amp, they really are kind of like the condiments. But the 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 entree, if you will, is the amplifier. Like that's yeah. what everything is built around. And um, 
you know, there's there's a whole other set of conversations to have about how certain amps respond to pedals, but like the circuitry of, of different models and variations of amps that are designed to do specific things, there's a lot of variance there. And I think finding your tastes and finding finding that that curve that you prefer over some other variation of that amp is is part of the fun. And, uh, you know, for a long time that I wasn't super interested in that, mm -hmm. especially in the, in, in the base world until I started to figure out exactly how important that it was. And, and I'm sure as we all kind of have, we've got influences from, from artists stretching all the way back from when we first started playing metal and now to when we might have slightly different tastes and things have changed somewhat. Um, but, uh, I never thought I would be in a position to increasingly have an interest in owning a variety of physical amps. And that's, that's definitely becoming the case. Like having the Vox, um, AC 30 C2 is awesome, but I think it would be just as equally cool to have, to have a high gain amplifier that can do some of the, some of the other stuff that I, I like to play like a, uh, PV, um, invective or, uh, their original 5150 or something, which I mean, the, the Vox just can't achieve sounds like that. It just cannot capture that, that high gain sound and sure I could model it, but there's something special about having it here in the room, feeling it heat up. Um, and just the uniqueness of the circuitry intrinsic to, to not just that model series of amp, but my amp specifically. Yeah, yeah, because there is some variance there. I mean, it is like arguably less and less as the years have gone on, yeah, with like yeah. the tolerances being so much like narrower. But yeah, there, I mean, I I think there's a like so many different formats for amps, whether there it's like the head and cab thing, the combo thing, and like the like amp in a box style pedal thing. Uh, and I think all of them are cool. Like I, I could just, I could see myself justifying any format of those, and I, I like all of them. So, um, but yeah, it's something really cool about playing with them in the room and getting to turn them up to like, and the way that they push air differently than they it would if you were like, as the three of us are used to in, like, hearing them back in like, sort of like a close mic, even like modeled setting. It's like a, just a different vibe. Um, both are valuable. Like for sure, like being able to hear what like in the recorded realm, like be able to better judge what it's going to sound like when the mic's on it by yeah. doing things like that. But then there's like, there's something, uh, there can be things inspiring about both, but certainly it's something about um, playing with the amp in the room. Um, I think we mentioned this before, but my first amp after the the first combo amp that I had, which was like, a practice amp, I should say, was a drive amp. But the first amp I had was like, it was a PV Triple X. Mm -hmm. I don't really remember how I landed on that at the time. I think I'd remember like reading things or hearing from people that it was like close to a, uh, it was like similar to a rectifier and that it had like an active EQ, mm -hmm. which basically just means that like the, your controls at noon are flat right. in, in a sense. 
and as you turn them up they boost but as you turn them down they actually cut as opposed to like a passive circuit where like if you think about the bass control on like a passive circuit amp if you turn the bass up you're not really like increasing bass frequencies beyond what's already present you're just allowing them all to pass through the signal yeah um like completely un, um impeded basically so it's a bit different those two styles but um that was the first thing along with i mentioned before too like the the avatar 412 um i had those two like as like my first like real rig yeah but what about you guys Oh, just a, to, in addition to that, I was yeah. going to send you a picture when I was in Hubbard's the other day. There was a uh, a Windsor. Oh, really? Yeah, it was on the ground. So I, I, was, I stopped by there earlier to get a couple packs of strings and I didn't see it there, but maybe it's still around, but I remember. Yeah, those were, those were pretty cool unit, uh, little units for being like the JCM, JCM 800 style thing for like like maybe 300 bucks at the time mm-hmm. i got mine after that because i i actually traded i don't remember what else i traded or what the exchange was but i traded the pb triple x to esteban because he had he had the windsor mm-hmm. and i traded him the windsor for the triple x and i think he ended up trading it or selling it to someone thereafter but uh yeah the windsor for like maybe a year or so but nice. that was a cool one very cool mm-hmm. yeah okay I didn't realize that part of the story, but yeah, yeah. that's that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. How about you, Dylan? What was your first? Uh, my first amp was a Fender Frontman Ten. I think oh it yeah, came yeah. with the Squire. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. It has like I, the RCA connections in the yeah. front of it and everything. Yeah. Like it wasn't like the box combo, but it was like one step up from that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and as I'd said in a previous episode, like I was just using that, the Squire Strat, and then I got that funny digitech pedal pedal that just had 80 presets and you couldn't edit them at all <laughs> yeah um and then i believe my next amp was i jumped right into uh line six world the yeah spider, was it the combo first the spider three or did you get the head and cab right away no i, I got, thought you had the combo I first had the combo first. or at least that's the way i remember you telling me yeah it's like the spider three 75 watt and it's just had I'm sure it's probably different now. Like I think the catalyst is like the modern version of the spider now. Mm, six okay. catalyst. But mm. anyway, so it's like has like six uh amp general generic stylings like clean, twang, crunch, overdrive, uh insane. metal and insane. then in, and then yeah. insane. The legendary insane mode. And those are just kind of a general approximations of a variety of amps and um, some built-in effects. And yeah, that I used that for a few years and then graduated to Spider 4 half stack, which is a little bit better. Amp and cab, separate amp and cab, a little bit higher a wattage. And, and used that for several years too, and that was kind of my beginnings. Yeah, yeah, but the Spider Four head had a had like it actually had a little screen on it, right? And I was just could... gonna say yeah. that that line of amps with that had the screen with the presets on it. Like, I actually like think those were cool because, and maybe we've talked about this before, but like that amp was so common in every guitar center. Yeah, that like yeah. it was it was the it was like the best way to judge 
what I was like a, a guitar that I was playing through. I could go to like any guitar center, especially if it was like for a high gain thing. Yeah, I could load up the Meshuga setting and like make the tweaks that I'm used to tweaking every time I mess with that setting. Yeah, and it's like okay, that's home base. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. For that, yeah. so like for that reason, I thought they were like pretty cool. Oh, and speaking of, um, I pulled out that uh, Spider Three that was in the garage, and I gave it to Liz. Nice. Yeah, I I'd given I gave away the Spider Four. I tried selling it a few different times. I think I remember. <laughs> just that. Ended up giving it away. <laughs> To uh, Tony's music and Carl's bed in Mexico. Oh yeah, yeah. T- Tony, we're thinking about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. That was really funny. So, um, if you recall, prior to uh, the Tar Center had that like large open floor plan. In the amp section, they had those like they they looked like giant rack cases, and then they had head like heads and speakers like on shelves yeah. there, and you could like play around with stuff and it was kind of isolated in the middle of an aisle so it wasn't just like you're out in the main open yeah i know what you're talking about now. like yeah, blaring yeah. it out which was kind of crazy um my i i think my actual first amp was that little 10 watt line six spider three mm-hmm. deal that we all pad i think mm-hmm. everybody had that yeah there was like, like six of them at thomas's house at one point yeah, yeah. and uh which was, you know, I thought that was the coolest thing I could ever have imagined at that point. And then we bought that custom two by ten combo amp from a place in Hobbs, and that's the story I told. Custom or, with a K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Custom with a K. That's the story I told about us trying to hook up the rectifier. Oh, yeah, you blew it up. Uh, and blew it up, and I had to keep that secret forever, basically. The cat's finally out of the bag. <laughs> this is the first I've ever spoken. Uh, <laughs> now that I feel like I'm, uh, you know, I can't be. Uh, There's red lights coming into the room right now, for, folks. For, <laughs> <laughs> for those of you at home, uh, you can't see. Um, and then that was when I got pigeonholed into playing bass. And so I had to get all the bass stuff. And I bought that that acoustic brand. That was the name of the brand, uh, Acoustic um it was like a it was like a one by 15 and had a it had like two tweeters on it or something and it was a combo amp and i had that boss gt10b uh ulti effects pedal that had a looper in it and i would just sit there and make loops for hours on that thing that was a really cool rig that was a cool rig i would sit there and play uh like dead space and then go play and then go back to dead space and stuff. And then from then, I don't know how I got the idea that I needed to have a, an eight by 10, but I had the idea that I wanted to have an eight by 10. So I found the same brand acoustic eight by 10 from guitar center, I guess that was, was kind of our only lifeline. Yeah. Yeah. That was our, that was our only like resource to El Paso from less from, 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 from Lubbock. Yeah. Yeah. How did you transport it? I don't remember. I have no idea. Um, But then we had that trailer, remember? And it would fit in the trailer. And uh, that, that I, I, I either bought it with blown speakers and didn't test it very well, or it just, I blew the speakers in it relatively early on. Um, And then so 
that's when I bought my uh, Ampeg PF500, which was like a recreation of their flip-top heads, but for modern players, it's a solid-state amp um, that I still have and use today. It's a great little head. Um, super interesting. I never got a matching cab for it, but it was a really really awesome head. And that was my first real foray into like getting into bass stuff. And around that same time, I bought that custom, also with a K, that uh, deep. It, so the name of the cab was a deep groove, and it was that really deep four by ten, and it weighed like. It was yeah, I remember it was really heavy. <laughs> it weighed like a hundred and twenty pounds or something. It was actually insane, and I remember hauling that thing around and finally got rid of it. Nice. Man, I must have sounded like shit. Like, just <laughs> really bad. I mean, I can't even imagine. I, You know, it's not that I sound fantastically better now, but, you know, I don't, I don't even know what those knobs did. So I can't even imagine. No wonder. Uh, uh, no wonder um, Thomas's dad was constantly trying to turn my amp off in the middle of the gig who, who the hell knows what i was playing or, or what i sounded like it probably sounded like a quack half the time i remember some moments like early on whenever um like esteban and joel um their grandfather had uh was into music and he played for like a, the church that um he had mm-hmm. and he had gifted them both like i think it was like both a bass and a guitar um esteban got a strat like the tobacco strat that he has with the maple neck that's like the one his grandfather gave him that's cool. and then they also gave him amps i'm pretty sure he gave him both amps um but the one that joel had for his bass was like a it was an ampeg but it was like a i want to say it was like a six by ten the combo so like it was like the head was built into the enclosure of the thing yeah and it it was really good sounding, but I remember like there was times where we would take like it was in the metal zone. It was a Boss Metal Core had just came out uh-huh. while we were in high school, and we plugged that into like the front of the the bass amp and like played it with guitar. And it was like it was just so bassy sounding that it was like, oh, this sounds kind of good. Like, <laughs> this this sounds this sounds even heavier. Like maybe we should maybe we should do this, and that didn't go especially far, but just <laughs> just. Those ideas when you're young mm-hmm. and like are like new to that stuff and like trying to figure out what sounds good was like was a funny example I remember. Yeah, well, um, Joey, especially you've had like a really interesting career with with cycling different amps out and trying different amps. I'm just wondering if you could maybe like talk a little bit about what you've owned and what you own now and like what's been your favorite kind of experience so far, uh, regardless of um of genre actually sure yeah i mean most of them as i go through the list are more than half of them that i've actually physically owned are all pvms so there's like some sort of like similarities there but um as far as ones that i've owned beyond the triple x and the windsor we've mentioned and i've also mentioned the 5150 before but i will cycle back to that in a moment um I've owned a, which now you have, the Valve King MH20 yep. mini head, which is a really sick micro head, which 
maybe we're talking about again here a bit later too because that's another cool format that we didn't really go over in the 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 newness of those yeah for sure um i've owned a couple of vtm 60s um actually i think i owned two at the same time at one point uh that one was i found out was slightly modded um later and i i kept for like about a month or two but those amps those amps are awesome because at the time when i was in high school i'd always like my dream rig that i like thought about like all the time was like having a uh, a Marshall JCM 800 and a 5150 like together in stereo and like uh, through like reading on online forums and stuff like that I, I like found that like prior to prior to the 5150 there was an amp which was the VTM Vintage 2 modified that was uh, essentially it was an 800 a JCM 800 style amp with 6L6s instead but it had these dip switches on it that uh-huh. you could engage that acted as the various mods throughout the 80s and similar era where uh, people were modifying like Marshall amplifiers to have more gain or like feel like more, there was like more compression sure a wider frequency band things like that and so these were all available uh, with via these like w- weird little dip switches on there where you can engage like an extra gain stage another extra gain stage like bass mid and they would like shift the mid frequency and all these crazy things it was super cool but it, it was it like was again was the precursor to the 5150 so for that reason it was like this amp to me was like this bridge from like jcm 800s into the 5150 and so like in a way it was like that kind of does both of what i kind of wanted anyways and like the like super saturated and like i guess just the super saturated and like give that the 5150 has and then you still have like the sort of like upper mid bark and like leanness of the 800 together um that one only had a presence control whereas like the 5150 is like notably i don't know that it was the first amp that did so but like was one of the first that i remember that introduced things like the resonance control depth as a lot of people refer to it now yeah um so yeah, that was that was a super amp, a super cool amp for that reason. I always wanted to own one. I actually still want one now, but I would like the 120 watt version. Sure. Um, so there's that amp. Um, I have owned a, I owned a PV Invective, which you mentioned there. Um, yeah. That was that was a cool one. That was where I'd actually just managed to snag a PRS MT15, which is the Mark Tremonti yep. signature amp when that came out a couple of years ago, like right during the summer, I think it was summer when it came out. I got one from like some local shop that was selling them online and it got it shipped to me right away. And that amp was awesome too. It like sounded like way, way, like much bigger than you would expect from a 51 amp. And it, it used full size 6L6s in it, which is really cool. Uh, and sounded super super good um but then i happened to there was this guy i followed on instagram who i happened to know was like a huge mark tremonti fan and he had just recently gotten an invective on reverb i noticed the listing for an invective and i noticed the username yeah and so i was like this is that guy and so i messaged him and was like hey you know i like would you be interested in a trade plus cash um for this mt15 yeah and your invective uh and he was like oh yeah like let's do that like that so he like i i don't remember how much the difference was but i paid him cash plus the mt15 for the invective and that amp like if i had like a 
if I was in the market for like a bells and whistles, like style amp, like kind of how I picture like things like diesels and angles and stuff like that that have like really rich feature set. Yeah. Um, that's probably the one that I would go to because it's like it's inherently uh, a block letter fifty one fifty with uh, an actual clean channel and like cool things like the gate and the boosts and like two separate effects loops that you can turn off and on. Like it's got a power supply built into where you can pedal or power pedals from, which is super cool. Oh, that is. Cool. Um, but yeah, that amp is awesome. Um, uh, besides that, I've owned an AC30 C2. Mm-hmm. I had a, a cream one that had cream backs. It was like a limited run they did for a bit. That amp was super sick and like informed a lot of like what I like about those amps in general, but as well as like, but maybe even more so like the speaker set that were in there. And then um, I think the only other one left is like the, the most recent one, which is the AC50 Classic Plus. Uh, two, which is the combo version, which was also another amp that back in high school was like this in my head was like this middle ground between like Marshall and Vox style amps, like an 800 AC 30 style thing where like the, it was two channels. Yeah. It had a green channel that was supposed to be very much like top boost AC 30 style circuit. And then the red channel was supposed to be like more Marshally there. And, um, yeah, so that's that's the one that I have now. I have the 5150 still, which was a super cool uh, pickup. It was a situation where I had um, bought a seven string, my first seven string from our good buddy James Dingler. Yes. Shout out Dingler. Uh, King Ding. A number of years ago, and it came to a point where he would like, you know, there was some sort of sentimental value that it had to him and so yeah asked like if i ever wanted to get rid of it um to sell it back to him and then i remembered that i think i don't remember what other seven string i might have had now that i'm thinking about it maybe i went out without one for a while i'm not sure because i only have the one now the yeah. j custom but um yeah we made a deal because he had uh jameson's old pv pv5150 head and he would have to Hopefully we get to have him on. He could tell us a bit more about that and where it came from. But um, yeah, we made a deal and we, we traded those two things straight swap. And uh, it's an old black letter. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. It was like it, admittedly in pretty rough shape. And so it took quite a bit of like elbow grease to like get it to where it is now. It was like yeah. a broken knob. I had to get ordered and replaced and got it fixed locally and all this stuff. And there's, Still some more things I'd like to try to clean up on it, but it like totally does what I need that to do. Um, yeah, you did a lot of work on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are that's what I have now. Favorites. I mean, 5150 for like the high gain thing. That's like probably still the favorite. AC30 for pretty much anything else. Yeah. Um, I really love to drive that AC30, of course, too. The clean's awesome. And there's other like examples of like really good amps that are like i like the diesels i like the vh4s i like um like good old rectifiers those are cool um there's probably more that i'm forgetting i mean there's i like some fenders too like the i like i really like the old blonde basements the 6g6bs oh yeah yeah those yeah. are sound super super good um and then you know i like most of the 
the most popular ones too, Deluxe Reverbs, Twin, stuff like that too. But if I had just like the two to three, it's probably an AC30 and 5150, and that's like really all I would need. Sure. Yeah. But... Well, Dylan, you've you've also had kind of a more interesting history with amps than I have. So, so mm-hmm. I'll go on my list last, but you've owned a few different things that I think are really interesting. And what I would really like to hear about actually quite a bit because I've been doing a little bit of reading about it is your new uh, is that new UAD pedal that you got that uh, you can like end the story with that. But yeah, so I, I feel like uh, compared to the guitar episode of past, I have the least impressive amp history. Um, but I have had a few things over the years, I believe um you know had those line six amps for several years and then got uh, got into the fractal world yeah i was using that and then must have been 2013 or 14 is when i uh was browsing on dave's guitars yeah dave's guitars. yeah that's right yeah, yeah he had a pretty good uh used section and uh i got a black star ht5 i remember that the little five watt guy i was uh it really liked watching the videos of misha with his back mm. then and just wanted to just wanted a a light entry into <laughs> amp ownership and that was a fun a fun one and i still have that one and it's uh i was got, gonna ask you that yeah it's still still out there in my parents garage and it's Got a basic EQ, uh, reverb, uh, a gain channel, and then it also has this voicing knob, and you can go between American and British voicing. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. Joey might know a little bit more about. I think it was called like an ISF or IFS control, something yeah. like that. But yeah, it's pretty much exactly what it did. It mm-hmm. like had these two different things, and I think it was like it even had like a single like preamp tube in it too. Like it yeah. was tube in some way yeah um that was a cool amp yeah yeah that was fun uh lunchbox amps yeah i yeah, guess yeah. you could call it that that classification and then um i don't i feel like people might th- uh, see me as a prs fanboy, but i just feel like i've just come into some of that stuff but but the next amp that i got uh was a prs custom 50 mm-hmm. 50 watt and i got that probably 2016 and that was what i did a lot of the first earth brother shows with yeah it seems like that. I, I remember that yeah yeah and that was just kind of a really good g- general all amp you know it had two channels reverb basic eq and stuff and that was a, a really cool amp i kind of regret selling it but it could do the high gain thing like fairly convincingly with a boost in front but it had a really good clean channel as well and um so i, I used that for like pretty seriously for a couple of years um gigging with that with with you guys that was a lot of fun and um then probably 2017 i got a really cool deal on a hot rod deluxe from our good friend val val cannon that's right Mm -hmm. we love val and he uh was playing music with my dad at the time and was offloading some gear and he made me a really good deal on that and that's uh not the most sought after fender amp um but it does have really good clean sound on it. The drive channels, so so, but it's a. Uh, I guess I don't know what the it's like the white, cream Tolex. I guess mm. that's I don't know what that's called. Oxblood. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a a thing, a wrap color. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, and then so I have that still, and then um, a couple years after that, uh, a friend of the family had passed away, and uh, his son was selling some of his dad's music stuff. A person that my dad had played music with over the years, and he had a bunch of gear too. And the son was not a musician, so he didn't really know what it what the stuff was, but was just going through his trailer and wanted us to come take a look. And he had had some really cool stuff. He had uh, a um, a super reverb, great big guy. That's a cool and they one. also had a yeah. twin two, which I don't know a whole lot of history on that, but it's another very big, very loud amp. Yeah. Um, and so I picked those up uh, from him, and those are the twin is more functional than the super is, but they both need a makeover. But sure. I think it would be really cool to to at least get the super back in action if it's if it's possible because that's a really cool amp too. Yeah, it's really big, really loud. But yeah, um, similar to Joey um, with high gain stuff. Like I'm always like all the flavors of fifty one fifty. For some reason, I've always thought the little white fifty watt. Uh, 5153 was cool yeah just had a cool look to it i know that there's like volume discrepancies with the channel and stuff but i've always i don't i feel like maybe there was one at grandma's in albuquerque once yeah i'm pretty sure there was yeah i mean they've they've revised it so that uh, there's like concentric knobs for the two channels stealth the stealth version i believe has the has like some of those corrections on it, and I would, I've always wanted to to try one of those amps. Uh, revisit it now, um, but generally speaking, yeah, I always thought like the PV Invective is really cool. Can just has, is uh, just feature packed. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I've never been in the same room as a diesel VH4. No, wait, there's. Wasn't there a diesel at Mountain Music? They had a Herbert. Herbert, yeah. 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 So those seem like pretty wild amps. Very cool technology. Yeah. It's cool to just crack it open and look at all the all the wiring and technology that goes into it. Um, and yeah, hopefully someday down the road I will get to experiment with that a little bit more. I definitely would like to, to own some flavor of 5150 at some point. That would be really cool. Um, and then to the point that Jared had brought up, something that i picked up um i guess about six months ago was a the ua a dream 65 pedal amp amp and a pedal um and so that's kind of a, a relatively new technology um about having like a silent pedal board to where like one of the pedals that's on your board is a, a preamp modeling a specific amp and then you can just line that direct into the into the pa yeah. And uh, UA, I believe they just have the three, right? The, the three different amps the modeled tweed, right now. The tweed, the box, and the yeah, deluxe. and the deluxe. Um, and that is a really cool, you know, it's a very well, very authentically recreated uh, Fender Deluxe Reverb. Yeah. And it's got um, basic EQ stuff. It's got the reverb and the tremolo. Um, and it's got a couple of built-in uh, boosts. Uh-huh. And it's also got three different cabs that you can select. And I know that on their app, on their Bluetooth app, you can uh, uh, download user presets. And so there's some artists that put some presets up on there too. So I think that's yeah, like that's a, cool. a fun flavor and a different a different solution. Um, I 
kind of got into that for a while and made myself like a little physical pedal board, including the dream. Yeah. Um, and I just, I, I feel like almost a shame that I'm just like more comfortable on modeler sometimes, but, but I do enjoy playing with that at home. I guess just like when I'm out, like I really want my comfort. Yeah. I'm sure, just like yeah, how yeah. I have those things dialed in that I've dialed in many years ago and not touched, but yeah, um, I think those, those amps in a box are, are, are a fun option and, and something different. And I'm interested to see where the technology goes with that. And also where, where UA goes with that, what they're going to do next. Yeah, I've I've seen a few of those at Guitar Center now in in Phoenix, and, and it was just I just think that at the bare minimum they look really cool, you know. So that's kind of a, a fun thing. It's just the the uh, design of the box itself. Yeah. In case it wasn't obvious to the people who are listening, I'm trying to find out what the hell else I'm gonna buy next from these two. <laughs> um, but uh, real estate. timeshare get out of the amp game (laughs) buy some land um you know so my my amplifier like journey beyond kind of the stuff that i had mentioned earlier isn't quite so exciting um i bought that uh that valve king from joey in 2015 2016 um and that was like i think actually the first head i ever owned that was a guitar specific guitar one yeah uh a guitar specific head and then i bought the matching cab from sweetwater which is a two by uh a um two by ten with two greenbacks in it or two by twelve yeah it should be a twelve um and i still have both of those um i'm not using them right now but uh i probably won't ever sell them um and then uh within the last year i picked up um a Vox AC30C2, which I've been incredibly happy with. And I, you know, I don't actually have a very good reason for why I bought that amp other than than I've heard it played many times and I just like the way that it sounds. That I mean, that's like really where it stops and ends for me there. And, um, you know, I have a very distinct memory of hearing Joey and uh, another friend that we've mentioned on the podcast before named uh kelly williams that they played through those amps either live or just at home jamming and and more so than i remember the quality of the sound i just remember how they made me feel and i i knew i wanted to kind of capture that on my own and then to quote dylan from a few episodes ago you realize it's really all in your fingers and you know the amp's important but if you suck then it's not going to sound great so i still haven't (laughs) been able to achieve the the uh that magic again um personally i think my bass experience has been a little more interesting for me just in general um i really went i kept that ampeg portaflex 500 head for an incredibly long time and i as i said i still own it not 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 only does it sound great but it also has got a lot of sentimental value to it Kind of, an, kind of an, an interesting thing with that head is that it, it it it's solid state, so it's not super loud, uh, or it doesn't get very hot. It does have a giant fan on the back of it that will that will blow pretty hot. But it's got a uh, compressor uh, built into it, 
um, that meters, which is cool. And then it has uh, an overdrive circuit built into it, which isn't isn't stellar, but it's passable. Uh, and then you have a few different options as far as uh, what your mid mid knob does, like what uh, frequencies it, it controls. And then um, I guess this is also within the last year. I, I I'd gotten really interested in what. Uh, uh, what Mesa and Aguilar were doing with their smaller bass amps. And, you know, I'm not really playing live anymore, but anywhere I do play, you know, it's, it's not going to be like a stadium and I can always DI out. So I wanted to get a smaller solid state bass amp that ha just was updated a little more modern and captured a wider variety of sounds that, that I felt like met, um, the way I play now because I don't just play like metal anymore. In fact, that's probably the thing I played the least of now is metal. Um, and so I went back and forth between the Aguilar tone hammer 500 and a Mesa subway D three fifty or the D 800. And I ended up going with the D three fifty just for a few reasons. The, the, the size is great. Um, you have a lot of interesting tone controls on it. Uh, um, and uh, you also have a, a flat and a boost knob, which kind of controls uh, frequency response in, in an interesting way. And then you have an active and a passive switch directly on the, on the amp head. Plus it weighs like under five pounds. So you can, you know, it doesn't weigh anything. It comes in a nice saddle bag. Um, and I've been incredibly happy with that amp. Uh, I think it sounds wonderful. Um, and that's kind of, that, that's kind of where I've, I've been. I started to demo different amps that I kind of don't think I could ever get my hams, my hams or my hands on, um, in the bass world. Uh, I just picked up a trial version of an Eden Eden uh, WD 800 amp head that um, is pretty popular for like pop uh, and rock music. And I, I love how the plugin sounds. The amp itself is really expensive, but um, I just find myself gravitating toward a completely different set of sounds than I ever thought I would. And then if, if I need to color it in some other way than, than is achievable by the head itself, then I've got pedals for that, which we can get into later. Um, but yeah, it feels like it's been a lot longer of an adventure for me, but really it, it's littered with a few bad choices or things that have been recommended to me by people I trust. So um, anytime that that's happened, it's turned out pretty well for me. And maybe I've said this on every episode now. I don't know. Maybe I should not say it every time but i'm I, i'm really happy with all the stuff i have now and i think i i personally like the way everything sounds better now than it probably ever has for me but that's the nature of the game is that that's going to change in six months and i'll decide that i need something else just for the sake of needing something else but um i would really like to get a high gain almost 
probably the mini head version of the Invective. I think those are super cool. Yeah, those are really cool. Um, just as a as a fun alternative, uh, and I don't really need the big one, you know. I think you do. <laughs> <laughs> now, those when your neighbor goes too far, you can throw it back at him. <laughs> those mini heads are, are really really cool. Like I think the first ones that I remember were ones like the Black Star that you had, and then there's like the Eggnator Rebel mm-hmm. series. That was another one. Um, and then there's probably more in there that I can't fully remember. And there's been like other examples of like like mini ones that weren't necessarily meant to be like lunchbox in the sense that they were like a, a classic amp you knew just like downsized. Some of those weren't, I don't remember being so great, but the, like when PV put out the 6505 MH, like that was kind of a big deal at the time. Yeah. And that was like shortly after the Valve King MH20. And there was a Tweed one. There was a PV classic line that they did oh, as the well. Oh, the Tweed one, yeah. Um, and then now there's like more offerings like the PRS and MT15. They're like small, but still sound really big. Uh, and by big, I just mean like the larger amps, uh, which is the thing with the wattage, which is um, interesting. Like, because one of the things we were going to mention is like how the demand for wattage has uh, changed for us. And maybe the perception of uh, wattage uh, whenever we were younger and needed to play loud, especially in like rock and metal bands, um, it's different. But um, yeah, I mean, not like I kind of went through all of mine. Most of those amps that I owned were 100 watts or more, 120 yeah. in some examples. Some of them were 60, but um, yeah, I think most would argue that you wouldn't need that for most settings where you have the opportunity to mic up your amp uh depending on the venue as well like and i I don't imagine that you would need even for your solo stuff you would need like a half stack and the the 100 watt head and all that stuff like i mean it'd definitely be cool if you did but uh what the fuck is up salute (laughs) (laughs) uh i like i comfortably played alongside uh Fender Twins when Kelly had one and we played together in my AC30 and there was like, there was a difference in headroom which is one thing to note about that um, but there's other things like the topology of the amp, like how they're designed, like how that when they break up like the twin, you won't really get it to break up unless you're really di- diming it um, whereas the AC30 does so much earlier yeah. um, so you run out of clean headroom um, before you've kind of like just maxed out and you don't really get any louder you just get more distorted um so that's a that's a thing with the waters too but i guess the other thing too and this is maybe why i mentioned or like why i didn't hang on to the vtms the 60s that i had is that there is something about for me specifically high gain amps and high like when there's the option to have the fuller wattage one that i gravitate towards that and it's there's something about the like fullness that the larger one larger ones seem to have over the other ones as far as like frequency band and range um i don't know like i've like because you mentioned the 5153 50 watt and despite that one having the resonance control which i don't think the 100 watts do 
I've always thought the 100 watt one sounded fuller. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember, hmm. I remember, I want to say it was Ermin. Ermin Hamidovich, like really popular mastering engineer and mix engineer before as well, um, did something like that where like he took a 5150 50 watt and ran it into like a 6505, like the power amp section of it. Yeah. And had like a big revelation about it. it was like, oh, this is this is like much more full band, and like hmm. yeah. So like I, I and that sort of solidified that for me as well because he's got a really good ear for that stuff too. But um, in situations where like I'm not like what the amp offers doesn't like get compromised by having like that higher headroom, um, I would gravitate towards that because I there are situations I think when the when I wanted the 60s it was like. I wanted to be able to use it in the realm of like a lower, like it break up sooner and not have to be so full range and like higher headroom. But more now, like the more that I understand those amps now, like you can get them to break up without having to necessarily crank them. Um, but yeah, wattage is an interesting, interesting thing. I think the first, well, some of my earliest memories of being told of how they equate to like actual loudness was like, you'd have to get 10 times the wattage to get double the loudness like if you think about a 10 watt amp and a 100 watt amp that's then like that ratio would give you twice as loud yeah as opposed to like a lot of people would think 10 to 20 watt twice as many you know yeah. it doesn't it doesn't work like that um but yeah it's interesting yeah that is interesting this is this uh unless Dylan, if you had anything to add here there is something that i do wonder quite a bit about that i don't know too much about and i guess if you're buying tube amplifiers you know what this is gonna make me sound like an idiot but i'm just (laughs) gonna ask anyway uh like can can we talk about the variation in what tube selection does to the amp yeah yeah there i mean there are they can make a big difference, but another thing to note is that in some ways they don't. So, like having tubes that are full of life um, definitely like makes a big difference. And like I noticed, like you notice it to kind of degrade over time. That's how I feel about the fifty-one fifty right now. Um, but so one, yeah, specifically having them like feel very fresh. Like you'll notice, like. Uh, like a, a lack of sag in a way, but, but again, it depends on how the amp is designed because some of them have inherent more of that. Sure. Um, but when they like sort of like dull out or like you, the best way I can think of it is like, especially if you're like f- very familiar with the speakers, cause those will like loosen up over time too. But like, if you're noticing that like over time you've had to like increase the amount of gain or um, presence or really make a lot of adjustments to get to like what your normal, like sort of reference point is. then it's like probably a sign that um, it's, it's time to change them. They also get microphonic over time as well. I'm not really sure like what the science is as to like what leads to that. Sure. Um, but you can tell pretty easily when you like tap on them, at least fairly lightly, you can kind of hear some audible, um, Sound. I mean, eventually, if you do it hard enough, you can hear it almost on any of them. But yeah, you'll you'll 
find, at least in my experience, that you'll run through the power tubes so much more than the preamp tubes. There, I mean, there's people that are like have are still using preamp tubes from like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever, and those don't like have the same hmm. degradation that like a power amp tube was. Those you need to replace more often. There's things like the bias and stuff you have to do for those as well. But beyond that, I mean, like there's uh, even in just the realm of like a particular type of preamp tube, like a 12AX7 is like a really common one. Yeah, that you see, there's like different versions of that like there's i think jj a really popular brand they have one that's called the 5751 which is a it's supposed to be like unless i'm confusing the model with a different one they either way they have one that is like will directly replace a normal 12ax7 but it has um i want to say it's less headroom um or increased headroom. I can't fully remember how much it is, but either way, you like it doesn't either breaks up sooner or you it breaks up later. Hmm. And um, there's things like that. There's like there's like tubes that are like specifically de- designed for or like ideal for running in what's called the phase inverter um, spot of the amplifier. Which I don't know too much of the science of like why specific ones are better in that position, but um, it's pretty routine to see that. Sure. Um, configuration on any amp but yeah there's there's so much in there some of them are like there is a bit of like a snake oil thing to kind of maybe be like super like cautious of because there's some people that like get really into like the gold plated pins and stuff like that on there that sort of yeah. like enhance the sound in some way or like ought change it in some way that's beneficial but um and then there's like you know the people who like are really after the like old like russian or like soap tech ones things like that too and like there's something to that i think i mean like um i've played i've cycled through a lot of different tubes i've had like jj's rubies electroharmonics like all those sort of staple ones groove um and then there was another one that was called pm tubes that uh kelly had like Taught, like brought up to me once because he had read about it like an article about how they went really well in uh, ac15 yeah which he had at the time and so like he bought those and like put them in and like there was something to the set for it for sure maybe specifically just one or two of the preamp tubes but i bought those for my ac30 whenever i first got it as well and like unfortunately they don't they don't do them anymore they don't like that brand doesn't make them anymore but um that's another one that was like really cool. I think there is something like really unique about tubes as well. I mean, it's a pretty, I would say it's still like a pretty small percentage of the overall thing, but like, it's like with anything else in like the season things, like you have your favorite yeah, hot sauce you like to use over the other ones, even though there's both making your food spicier, like you have your yeah. preferences and there's like changes to that, you know? And it's cumulative, you know, there's so many things that, yeah. you, that you have that you prefer achieves a maximum effect over time which yeah. is another interesting thing i just i've never been in a position to, to really change one before and haven't thought a ton about it so i was like well i wonder you know what you would think about that basically yeah yeah i mean i definitely need to change the ones in mine out but i mean i would say like you probably wouldn't need to right away i mean it's, your amp sounds pretty good now but like i think it's worth doing maybe in like some amount of time you don't have to replace them very often 
every couple of years, at least, but specifically the power tubes, if you run them a lot, but um, maybe maybe worth trying just to do. Even You can even just buy the one, like again, like an example of being that like 5751 or something that's like designed to be a little bit different. You put it in like the V1, as they refer to it, like valve one mm-hmm. uh, slot, and that will like, you'll get some, you should be able to hear some audible differences or at least feel a difference there too. So sure, yeah. Worth, worth experimenting. Uh, one of the other like, f- like I guess formats for Amset, um, we haven't spoke to yet. But I was just thinking about as we we're going through all this was the like for a while, especially like thirteen years ago or so. It was like, and this was even before that too that people were into these. But like the, in addition to like the rack mount modelers, it was rack mount preamps and power amps, which was like a really cool thing then too. Like, yeah, uh, you know, there was like. For us, like a lot of people were using the VHT later Fryette power amps, but there was like there's a there was a bunch back then. They had Mesa ones. There was PV ones as well, but um, I think that's a really cool format for amps, like yeah. having it all. Especially, like, I mean, like the idea of it for like a touring rig is cool, and even like a home rig is kind of nice to have it all together and like um, a single place is cool. But yeah. um, there are some like specific preamps and power amp combinations that you wouldn't be able to achieve with like normal things like you like there's like the mesa recording pre like rectifier Mm -hmm. that you like wouldn't necessarily be able to normally run with like a power amp that's the style of the vht or something else and so for that reason it's it's cool to have those there's there's the marshall ones too there's um yeah i just think i think those are all really awesome ones and in some ways i like I still like look at those every now and then think like if I found the right deal for something like that, like the PV one, there was like, I can't remember what it was called. I want to see what it was called the rock master or something like that. Mm-hmm. They had one, but those ones are always really cool. Yeah. And also uh, actually the other day I was watching uh, on John Brown's channel, uh, the synergy modules. Oh, that's Southern now. And so it's like you buy like the, the, the chassis the main thing and then you can stick yeah. get a buy a module of like a 5150 yeah and that's I crazy i don't know what all other ones they have i don't know a whole lot about that format but that seemed really cool the kind of a modern take of that concept yeah. they make all the modules no they, they like partner with those amplification companies because they have like, like their brand on there so there's like that's bogner crazy. modules diesel you know other ones like that there's like it's actually it's super cool like i, I remember some of their like really early stuff kind of had that because i think there was a randall amp that had that or maybe it wasn't randall but i want to say it was randall where it had like it was three channels but there were modules that you could take and change to different style other amps or preamps or whatever and that was like i want to say it was randall i can't remember for sure but yeah that's like an update to that format and that's that's really cool technology it's kind of crazy man And I guess like the other side of this that we haven't really talked too much about, and this might end up also being its own episode, is just the importance of the cab that you have associated with the amp. Like, you know, there's not, it depends on where you're at in your journey of like how dedicated you want to be to the sound of and the capability of the rig that you're running. But, you know, it's 
become abundantly clear to I think all of us as as the years have gone on just how much of an influence the speaker cab has not just the type of speaker that's in it but the actual dimensions of the box and the way it's constructed and I think Dylan said this really early on is like the easiest way to illustrate even in a completely synthetic way how important a cab is is to get a really good modeler and keep every keep all things equal but the cab and cycle the cab out and it's like a no-brainer that that's making a huge impact on your overall sound um much more so than if you like went through kept the cab the same and swapped where similar like multiple high gain amps next to each other through the same cab like you would you would notice much bigger difference in doing the other way on the cab yeah which is like i think a lot of people don't fully understand that yeah, yeah. but it's actually arguably the most important part yeah um it's kind of like the last thing you hear before like the final filter of the sound before yeah. like that in the mic before it like actually reaches your ears which is kind of crazy yeah, yeah. that's the voice that's yeah. the voice of the entire apparatus. Yeah. Which I've kind of just in the past few years been educated on by all the GGD videos and stuff and like them breaking it down in a more digestible way for me is very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Joey and I going on 10 years ago now, pretty crazy. We were fortunate enough to, uh, to get a, a cool deal and get some custom cabs made uh, by a company named Zilla over in the UK. Yeah, that was a and, cool deal. And they're kind of uh, a popular in the progressive metal world and the internet forums for their hand-built hand, hand cabs and uh, different speaker combinations. And so we got a couple of Zilla Fatboy 2x12s. Yep. And uh, with one uh, Creamback H and yep. one Vintage 30. And so that that's a really cool, a really cool piece. Yeah. And I feel like... You know, I haven't used that thing in several years, but I could bring it out today and plug an amp through it, and I know it's going to sound pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Those are super cool. For sure. Um, I think that kind of like, on the other end, like, I think you'd, most people would be surprised how... I mean, we've said it, but like how, how little difference there are between a lot of amps, too. Like... I mean, there certainly are some drastic ones there, but I think some of the decisions in the like the way um, the amp is sort of like the signal is sort of routed, like almost makes a bigger difference than other things like tube choice. Um, like as far as like you know, a lot of people would con- you know attribute in EL34 based amp to sound more like a Marshall and in a 6L6 amp to sound more Fender-ish. Sure. Or American. Um, but I think all things equal, you only change those. I don't like that. I think there, you would certainly notice some difference, but not to the point where like you would suddenly have a Marshall amp if you swapped um, those there. I think it's, a lot more of it is like what they refer to as the tone stack of the amp, which is, really just the like the sort of like components they use to voice the like eq of the amp in a way like where the bass rolls off where the sort of like resonant frequencies are set 
Um, and then in addition to that, like where that is placed in the chain, because you have amps that um, sort of like you hit your preamp and like as, as far as like your distortion um, portion of the amp uh, first, and then it kind of feeds through the tone stack and the EQ and gets filtered that way. And then it hits you, things like your presence controls and other things like that and hits the power amp and things like that. Um, and then there's other ones where like they hit the tone stack first and then gets ran through the distortion and that has a different sort of thing. Like the Mesa Mark series is an example of one where they have like the graphic EQ on the front, right? Mm -hmm. That you have and like you see like people carve out like, the, I mean, the Petrucci thing is like to carve out the big V on it there. And then like you, I would actually have very little bass on those for like a metal or hard rock thing. Um, like as far as the bass control, not the graphic EQ, um, but it's because the, the, those controls, the classic like knobs, the bass, middle, and treble are actually all pre-distortion on that amp. Uh, so it's like you're kind of shaping what the amp is seeing from the guitar when you do it like that. So you you keep in that case you would you people keep the bass low so that it feels tighter as kind of like what you'd get if you were putting a tube screamer in front of the amp. Sure. Um, so it's just another good example of, of how those things make big differences too. And I think I saw, I want to say it was, I can't remember the name. I think it's chairman of the boards is the name of the podcast. It's uh, with Mason Marangella from vertex effects. And he's like a fairly reputable guy who does like um, rigs. He's done like pedal boards for Tosin uh, bossy and like a couple other like notable people. And they make really good equipment, but he's on there with, um, I want to say this guy named Brian and Grant, I think. I could be getting that wrong, but they had a talk about that where there was a guy, and I don't remember the channel name, but like he does these really thorough uh, comparisons of like all things equal, we changed the body wood of the guitar or did sure. this or whatever. And then there was one on the amps where like uh, he went through and he like basically it was really funny. He took like a tackle box and uh wired in like a, a breadboard that had a fender style tone stack a vox and a marshall and like he basically showed how similar they all kind of really are yeah um and how like little difference there kind of is between a lot of those amps um in some ways like not fully of course but it's, it's pretty interesting to to watch and listen to um I do think some amount of that, like that cause I think the experiment kept the speaker constant, uh, which is a big factor as we just spoke to now. I think that just yeah. kind of like either end the speaker has such a huge role. Um, but then also like, you'd be surprised um, how little some of the like minute differences there are in, in a certain realm of amps. Um, actually there are, I guess. I don't know. Kind of interesting. So uh, just before we actually wrap up, there is another thing that I'm not sure about that I'm curious about both of your opinions on. Um, you know, I understand. I <laughs> <laughs> Do you? I understand that there are different channels on amplifiers. I understand the, the way that that works. I've always kind of had a built-in prejudice against uh, built-in effects on amplifiers. And uh, 
I feel like that is like some weird thing of it's there, so it must be bad. <laughs> Even though that probably doesn't make a lot of sense. So I guess I'm just wondering like, you know, what 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 do you the educated populace <laughs> think about that uh, about like amps that have built-in reverb um built-in tremolo not like the crazy like modulated effects or or completely digital effects but like i know that classic reverb amps are are classic fender amps are are you know they're sought after for a reverb tank for example that's built into it but like what about just generally built-in effects to amps that make them either noteworthy or not so noteworthy? Does it sound good? I mean, ultimately, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, if we're not talking about a high-gain situation, it's like the amp's got to have reverb. I really want it to have something because just playing totally dry is not the most inspiring thing. And I so most of my amps that I've had have at, at least had that built in, and uh, going back to that dream pedal, like experimenting with the tremolo and the built-ons built-in effects, I think is really cool. And I mean, there's a lot of amps that are not great examples of that that have poor yeah. poor built-in digital effects or like you know they're it's a meant to be a clean or a low gain amp, and if you crank the gain, it's not meant to do that. So sure, uh, it's gonna sound a certain way, but uh, generally speaking, um, yeah, I really I like when amps have some basic effects on there, just a little bit to get you going, you know. Yeah. yeah. But like, for example, on the AC30, why would I use the built-in reverb over a reverb pedal that is the same style of verb? Uh, I think that's where you would just. I mean, you, if you prefer the sound of that one, then I would say for that reason. But I guess, like, a bigger consideration could be, like, that, especially when driven if, and not used in something like an effects loop, your reverb is being filtered through the tone stack, the, mm -hmm. the drive on there. So you're, like, all your um, space is, like, being distorted in some way, which is, like, a thing in its own right. Like, I think that sounds cool. Um, sure. there, but there are times where like, maybe that's not what you're looking for and you need it to be a bit more pristine. Um, uh, especially with like delays, it's like a big reason why people put delays in effects loops or keep them up front, depending on whether you want those trails to be, um, slightly dirty or not. But, um, I, yeah, I mean, in most amps, to be honest, like if it's a spring reverb, which is generally what you find on amps that like have an analog reverb style thing in it. Mm. I think most of them sound really, really good. Like I would, I tend to only ever like rely on using a reverb, like pedal or some other effect outside of the amp when it's like not spring and or if it's like. I mean, there are some that like are not so ideal. Some of them that are a bit too like quick, or um, don't have a lot of range. Or sure. just aren't musical sounding either. Yeah. Like there's some tremolo circuits that like, for example, like the speed is either too short or too long. There's just like no in between. Yeah. Um, and so for that reason, like maybe they're not super usable and musical to use. But then there's like a really good tremolo. Like I, I enjoy like I think the ones like on the C2s are, are really, really good in improvement over the like series before them. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean that's those are some of the reasons that I would consider them. I, I think in general, like I'm not super stoked on the reverb that's um, in the AC50. I think the AC30, AC2 sounds way better. Um, but like when I'm wanting that there and I don't have the reverb pedal for it, then it's like at least I have it. Sure. Um, it's funny that like reverb is kind of like, and maybe it speaks to like why it's like this because you just said that like you'd like to have it on there but that's like the first thing you see thrown on amps like as far as like an additional feature set yeah like for another effect is reverb and i guess it's because like it's pretty inexpensive and or easy ish not that i'm an amp designer or know how to put these together but uh to include that yeah on there like most even in like a digital sense um but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely like a good reverb on my amps uh, where the application can call for it. Um, beyond that, tremolo, yeah. Tremolo is really cool to have on there. Those are like the two that come out or like come to mind most. Um, I'm sure there are amps that are just I can't think of that like have delay like circuits built into them and, and like and i don't mean like the modeling ones but like in the same way that like people built tube screamers into amps i'm sure there's people that just make that a part of the circuit and it's basically just like a pedal into the amp um hmm. but yeah i think i like hall reverb a lot so i end up yeah, like yeah, using yeah. Uh, pedal specifically for that uh and there's like all the other ones like crazy ones outside of that too so it's like I would probably always have or like primarily use the spring or the hall. And then because you don't see hall in any format other than digital, it's like the only way you're going to get that is um, mm-hmm. on a pedal or if they happen to have some sort of modeling thing on there. So for that reason, I would have a separate pedal for it. But if it's just spring, then if it sounds good, I'll use it. Yeah. Just have to experiment and find what works for you. There's cases too for both, you know. Yeah, well, as an amp, so in bed. Um, and I think on that bombshell, we can go ahead and wrap up episode five. We want to thank everybody again for listening to the Desert Tones podcast. Thank you for your time. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. And we're going to cut this one a little close for May. Mm-hmm. I have high hopes uh, that I'm the overachiever. My parents always said I was. But I mean, they don't know. Maybe we recorded this on the first of May. We recorded this on the first of May. <laughs> we definitely didn't do this twenty nine days later. <laughs> so don't think that. Uh, but uh, barring any unforeseen circumstances, we will see you all in June. Thank you so much, and have a good start to your summer. Yeah. Take care. Take care, guys. We'll see you.